we work when people party and we rest when people work and it's not easy it's not easy especially in this day and age where you know you have so many opportunities in other jobs so it's hard to find staff it's hard to find people but i found something that if you work if you work people on a better life balance the results are greater Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another edition of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I am very excited to have one of my good friends, Executive Chef Frederick Delaire, on the podcast today. Frederick, thank you so much for joining. Uh, you're very welcome, Steve. And I was going to introduce him as Celebrity Chef, and we'll get no, into please. that later, <laughs> uh, why. But uh, we have a true celebrity here on the podcast. Uh, but Frederick, we always start the show with the question of what was your first job in hospitality? So my first job, I have to say that sometime in life, you have to be a bit lucky and it's what happened to me. Um, when I, when I was 16 years old, um, you know, the school system found out that it would be a waste for me to continue. <laughs> so, and I didn't want to go to school, uh, anymore because, uh, you know, it was not something that I liked and enjoyed. I always wanted to do something like in culinary. Uh, my grandfather was a bread baker. Uh, so I always want to join the culinary field, you know, be a chef or maybe a pastry chef, a bread baker. And in France, so I was born and raised in France. And in France, something it's super cool. It's called um, the apprenticeship. So basically what you do, you find a restaurant, you become an apprentice and what you do, you work for five weeks uh, with the, the restaurant and then you go one week in a culinary school, then you go back. So it's like a culinary school, but very intense because you work with the school, uh, you work, sorry, you work with the, with a restaurant. And at the time, my grandmother had some connection and I ended up to be um, an apprentice for a two Michelin star restaurant um, near where I was living. And when I entered there, 
he was the, the owner was chef of the year uh, in France, which is it's big. So it's where I started as an apprentice. Wow, it's a great I, place to start. Yes, I was. What was it called? To, it's called Restaurant Lobergade. It's in a tiny village in the middle of nowhere, medieval town, mid medieval village. At the time, it was a two Michelin star restaurant. You know, I was supposed to do two years there, and I ended up doing four. That's amazing. So as an apprentice all the time, do you get paid as an apprentice in France? Or yes, is it... which is okay. good, which mm -hmm. is good. So you get paid. I used to get paid. I mean, I think it was, uh, it was not much, but uh, you get uh, subvention from the government as an apprentice, which pay for your lodging, they pay for the school and everything. So it was good. It was good. Uh, but it was tough. I mean, you know, when you go to school, you have to go. So I did, uh, it was in the summer. So I, do, I did the entire summer. And in September, I need to go to the, the culinary uh, school for five days. And I remember my first day, each of us have to say, what is your name? You know, where you work, where you are an apprentice and everybody started. So my name is Steve Turk. I work at restaurant, blah, blah, blah. I am, my name is blah, blah, blah. I work there. And me, I come from, um, middle-class family, so we used to go to the restaurant uh, in the late uh, 80s, but not to Michelin-star restaurant. So I had no idea what a famous restaurant was, but when I started, I said, my name is Frederick Deller, I'm an apprentice at restaurant Lobergad, and the room went entirely silent, and everybody turned and looked at me. And I became quickly, you know, even if I was an apprentice, and I was, most of my time was cleaning dishes and cleaning the street and stuff like that. When we had practice at the school, people used to come to me and ask me, does this taste good? What, what will you do? What do you think about the presentation? And I'm like, you know, most of them as apprentice in France, you work hands-on, mm -hmm. but it, because it was such a high-end restaurant, uh, apprentice, you know, they, what they did is, you know, clean the kitchen, wash dishes and, and stuff like that. So. It's when I noticed, I was like, oh, wow, I'm in a special place. I love it. So now knowing the story, you were always the celebrity chef, even <laughs> as washing dishes at the beginning. <laughs> yes. So you're an apprentice there for four years. Then, if you remember correctly, you join the army. You have to join the army, right? Yes, you have to join the army. And then it's where I realized once again how important that restaurant was because first, you go for like three weeks of out training, fighting and stuff like that. And then I went to my base and my base, my, uh, my base was located where I live, uh, near where I live in France. Um, so when I went to the base and they saw where I work, I went straight to the kitchen and I was assigned to cook for the people with the, the rank. So mm -hmm. I did private dinner and stuff like that. So it was super cool. And were you bringing stuff from the restaurant? Did you know what you were doing? Because you were really just an apprentice learning. So I was an apprentice for the first two years. Right. Uh, hardcore washing dishes and stuff like that. But then the restaurant didn't want to let me go. So they contacted my parents at the time I was 18 years old. And they say, you need to stay, you need to stay. But I made a deal. I told the chef that if I was going to do dishes and stuff for another two years, I will uh, basically... Uh, make sure I get kidnapped by people. <laughs> <laughs> so he put me in pastry and I became an apprentice pastry cook. And time to time I used to go in the kitchen, but because of the part-time school training and what I see, uh, I learned a lot. So yes, when I went to the 
to the base in the army, uh, I did some super cool dinner. I'd love to hear that. And so then you leave there and you go to another Michelin star restaurant, right? What was the name of that one? Yes. So it was restaurant Vivintmühl and it was in Germany. So it was first time for me leaving my, you know, leaving the country, going to another country. It was in Germany, a very talented German chef. Uh, I stayed there. I don't remember how long, maybe four years, uh, but it was super cool, super rough, super difficult. Um, Art school, uh, small restaurant, but really nice. So what was the biggest difference, right? Because I didn't know this part. I thought you were still in France. So you're in Germany. What is the difference going? You grew up in France. Why did you end up in Germany? So because I stayed four years uh, near to where my parents live and this, you know, um, and I noticed that my resume, putting that I was an apprentice for four years in that restaurant, was very important. I wanted to live. I wanted to explore a little bit the world, you know, to do something different. So one day we used to have a great newspaper. Now everything is online. It's easy. But we had a newspaper called L'Hotellerie. And it's about hotel and restaurant looking for for any type of work, chef, sous chef, apprentice, this and that. So I typed my resume and then I sent resume all over Europe. I sent the resume, first of all, in the United Kingdom. So I sent to Scotland, Ireland, Wales, England. You know, I had a connection at the Dorchester, I think it's called, in England. Mm -hmm. I sent my resume in Switzerland, uh, to the United States, in Belgium. I sent it to Germany, Spain, Italy. And I got Everywhere. a lot of answers. And uh, I got a lot of answers. Uh, I get a job offer in, in Scotland, in Switzerland, in Belgium. But the one in Germany really interested me. It was really cool. I talked to the chef. And at the time, you know, it was not like now. You have to send your resume by letter or by fax. <laughs> so when you send the fax, you have to go back to your house and wait for the phone call. But I remember people calling and I decided to go to Germany. to try. What was it about him? What was it about that chef that you said, this is the spot that I want to go? He was born uh and raised in germany but most of his training was in michelin star restaurant in france and he speaked uh fluent french and german so you know i felt that it would be cool for me to go there and uh, the way he approached me with what he wanted to do the type of food and this why he wanted to have me you know he kind of proposed me a higher job because i was an apprentice leaving the, the, the Michelin star restaurant. So I didn't want to end up in a lower position, like, you know, in France, we have different position, like a commie, this. So it was kind of like slash commie chef de partie uh, at the time in Germany. So I say, why not? So what was it like when you got there the first day? Do you remember the first shift? Was it like, oh, look at this French boy or they welcome you in? What well, was it was like? a smaller restaurant. It was only three right. of us, uh, the chef and three, 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 chef, three cooks. Uh, one was German and the two other, I mean, the two of us were French, the two other. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's a cultural shock. You know, now these days you go to, you have, you go to YouTube, you go to your phone, Wikipedia, you can read a lot of things about Germany. But me, it was like I went to a train, <laughs> the train uh, all the way to Paris, and after go in the middle of Germany, took, I don't know, it was a train ride at night, and then you arrive over there and everybody speaks German. Luckily, I spoke a little bit of English, so, but yes, it, it's, it's a culture shock. It's, um, wow, it, it's, you know, 
first time I was away from my family for, you know, that far. And I was young. I mean, I was still uh, 20, 20 years old, 21. Oh, yeah, you're young. You're a young kid. Yes. And so you end up in Germany in this, this restaurant for three years, right? So you're there, you're learning, and you grew the whole time yes, there? Yes, three to four years, I, yes. What kind of food uh, were you making there? Mostly, like, fine dining. Fine dining food, you know, um, with a little bit of French and German twist. But it's when I realized that in Germany, they had a lot of great chefs uh, as well. It was amazing. So, you know, it was, uh, it was upscale. I think we got a Michelin star later. That's awesome. But then you decided to come back home to France. Yes, I decided to come back home to France because um, I wanted to maybe go again to another country, you know, maybe to England, maybe try my chance to go to the United States, to, to maybe in Spain. And then I go back to France and I get a call from a friend who tell me that they're looking for employee uh, in Paris. And Paris was always one city that I wanted to go because it's a city that fit my lifestyle, which means, you know, on Saturdays and Sunday, everything is open late at night. It's always something to do. You know, where I was in Germany was a small town and where I, I was in apprenticeship in France was a small town. So I wanted to do like something. I, I visited Paris, I remember, and I really fell in love with it. So I decided to go to to explore the position. And when I found out it was a, um, a chef de party job in a second floor of the Eiffel Tower called the restaurant Jules Verne. And it was a Michelin star at the time. So that was like... Yeah, I love it that you were at two tiny towns before. Yes. Right? Kind of smaller restaurants. Yes. And then you go to the most one of the most famous cities in the world, uh, yes. one of the most famous, <laughs> iconic things in the entire planet the eiffel tower and now you're in that restaurant right and now what you're 23 years old 24 years old hanging out in this restaurant at the eiffel tower how did you feel when you walked in there first of all the system was different because everywhere i work was as an apprentice i work in a very big kitchen it was a big kitchen a big brigade as we call it in germany it was smaller but here the system was different it was it was owned by a group called Aliens at the time. Uh, they sold it. I mean, they, the, the rent, this, they part away with the rent and everything several years ago. We know Alain Ducasse took over. Now it's another chef. But it was a big company called Aliens, and they had all the food and beverage in the Eiffel Tower, including first floor, the, the people who make the crepping <laughs> while you wait for to go visit to go the up. Eiffel Tower, the restaurant Jules Verne. They have a lot of food restaurants in a train station in France. They have several famous restaurant in Paris. And it was the first time I ever worked in a kind of a bit corporate type, Interesting. but still restaurant. Like I remember one time they, you know, I had to, so again, to, to, to explain, usually we used to work longer shift in every place I ever worked. So you, you work like 12, 14 hour a day. Here in the Eiffel Tower, you work four day, very long shift and three days off. And the following week, you have four days of three-day work, which was amazing because in Paris, he left you with a lot of time to visit and do stuff. Yeah, that sounds remember, awesome. Yes. One time I had to work because... The, so we had two teams, two culinary teams. And the guy that was going to replace me for my four days off had an injury or something. So I had to pick up his shift. 
And at the end of the month, I got the paycheck and I went to see the chef. I said, look, something is wrong here. Uh, you overpay me. He said, no, you work an extra four days, which, you know. <laughs> it was nice. You got your overtime. <laughs> yes, which uh, was the first time ever. So. All right, so I don't understand. How did that schedule work? How come we can't do that here in the United States where you work four days and then three days? Why doesn't that work here? Um, well, well, it, it does work like that here for the employee because you work um, – you, you work on eight hour shift. So the way you work, you have two teams. So you have way much more employee. And what happened, um, while when you get your four days off, you're an entire team. So we're talking about at the time, 14, 15 people. So you have a brigade of 30 cooks. Yep. Um, here it could work in a smaller restaurant, in a big hotel, I don't think it would work because you will have to, have to double the team. That's true, you gotta double up everybody, less hours, they won't like that. I got it. Okay. Makes sense. So you're in the Eiffel Tower. You're working there. What's the experience like? It's got to be a way different clientele. Yes. Very yes, busy, I'm sure. Well, you know, Michelin star wise, it was one Michelin star. And right. it was not the most prestigious place because the first place I worked was a two Michelin star. Um, but I noticed that it was one of the, it is actually the most iconic restaurant I ever worked with. Because I realized that people coming to it, you know, like we had, we used to have like a part of the restaurant that the view is on Trocadero, which one probably the best view of any restaurant in the world. It was reserved six to six months to 12 months before. And we're talking in the late 90s, you know, not um, so it was like amazing. And Everything was so different because, you know, the, the, the Eiffel Tower, everything, you cannot have a gas. Everything was electric. Uh, so, and then it was the first job where you have to do background check and uh, you have to pass security. You have to have a badge. So it was like working like at the White House or something. It was like, <laughs> yes, it was. And one thing that, the only thing I didn't really like, it was when you have a day off, no matter where you are in Paris, you see the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> <laughs> so mentally, you never really rest. <laughs> That's but, actually uh, really good. Yes. Uh, yes, it was amazing. And so what was it like working in that kitchen? So you had 15 people at a time in there. You had your own station. I mean, tell someone who doesn't, you know, they're coming up in the kitchen. What was life in that kitchen like? The, the life was... It was rough because the number of cover, you know, I never worked in a place where they used to do 100 cover for lunch, 100 cover for dinner. And for people listening, a cover is a person. Think of it that way. A You're person. serving a person, yes. right? So 100 people that, that day. Lunch and dinner. And over there, it's not, you know, in the U.S., you can say I did 100 covers in in a U.S. Most restaurants are open um you know, lunch and they, they, they drag all the way to dinner and then you do dinner. In France, it was like 11.45, the door open, 2 p.m., that's it. So you do that number of people, mission start in a short span of time. So it was, it was rough. Every service was like a, a battle. And then you prep and then you do the service at night, at night and same thing, 100 cover. And it was... Uh, it, it, it was it was difficult. On top of it, that kitchen was completely sealed, so we had only one tiny window to see what was going on. So it was like completely enclosed, like if we were in a submarine. And <laughs> tiny space, you know, tiny space. It's one restaurant on the second floor. So yeah. So listeners behind him, which is hilarious to me, but amazing. <laughs> he has a giant 
framed photo of the Eiffel Tower and he's pointing to his restaurant. <laughs> so yes, so it, it, it's a tiny space and it's 15. So you have the chef, you have the, 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 the executive chef, you have the executive sous chef, and then you have an entire team. And each team has a chef de partie and Comi that work. So me, I was in the beginning when I started, I was on meat steak station, then I moved to the fish station. Uh, but yes, it was, it, 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 it's, you know, it's a tiny space and the food doesn't come, you know, hey, let's go on the loading dock. No, the food go to the elevator, the private elevator in one of the, the foot of the Eiffel Tower. Then you need to take an, ele take an elevator. And when you arrive on the second floor of the Eiffel Tower, the restaurant is more elevated, so you have to take another elevator that go to the kitchen. And the kitchen is so tiny, you have to do the chain. We used to scream in the morning, chain! And everybody <laughs> do like a, the chain, and you have to pass the potato, the carrots, the, the fish, and this. It, it, it was unique. It's a unique setup. I see, I love hearing that story. Now you really understand that the, the glamour people think when they watch the Food Network and see uh, your friend Guy Fieri doing diners and drive-in, right? You were in the Eiffel Tower with a tiny submarine kitchen using tiny elevators. I love hearing about that stuff. What was the chef like there? Was he a tough chef? Like what we think of like a tough so, French chef yelling or was he different? What so was he like? You have, you have worked with me, Steve. Yes. And you know my, my style of managing people. Yes. This was the first chef that I ever worked that and I need to be careful which, what I say that the other don't hear. Maybe they don't hear your podcast, but it's okay. No, we have like two listeners. so <laughs> it, was on a, it was one of the first chefs I ever worked who really cared about people and was very passionate about helping and developing people. And yes, he had to scream at times like every busy uh, Michelin star restaurant, but um, it was amazing. Imagine I worked three years over there. Okay, 16 or 17 years later, he talked to one of the sous chefs who used to work there, say, is Fred still working in the USA and uh, in the United States? And the sous chef, chef, chef say yes. He said, can you give me his uh, info, his phone number? Then he called me, say, hey, I'm going to spend a few days in Miami. Can I come to see you? That's amazing. And I worked three years for him. I'm not saying that I work like you know, but he remember me. He remember what I did and, and everything. That was he, like amazing. Right. That's the kind of story that makes a big difference in someone's life is the people yes. that you that stand out and really look after you and look out for you. Yes. Which is awesome to hear. You make a change, right? You're at this iconic place and you decide to make a, a change and you leave. Why yes, did you do that? To be honest with you, I had no intention leaving because they really... Um, like me over there and you know the plan was to move me a little forward um to something else but um they decided to to develop me maybe for the future or something uh and i met somebody you know valentine and this you know <laughs> my wife is going to listen to the podcast so i cannot give too much detail but she know so I met that person who was visiting Paris and I ended up what I end up um, going out with this person. And, and um, you know, it was a point where I talked actually, you know, we were talking about the chef earlier. I talked to the chef and I told him I may have an opportunity to move to the to the United States. And he was the one who told me, wow, do not pass an opportunity like that. You know, the food industry is a bit misunderstood. Uh, 
in Europe about America, but America is coming up slowly by slowly. They start to have a better chef, a better culture in food. It's a lot of movement over there. It will be a great thing for you and a great deal to go to, to America and, and explore it. You know, it's not going to be easy, but you should try it. It's how I end up. I left the Eiffel Tower and I moved to America in December of 1999. So did you speak any English at that time or were you still? <laughs> yes, because uh, my girlfriend at the time, you know, I had to communicate with her in English, but uh, because working in Germany, you know, the good thing about Germany, most of the people spoke English. So it's where I kind of learned English or I, you know, I got better in English. All right. So you land in the United States. Where do you land? Where do you start? So what city are you in? So something I find out is I couldn't find a job. <laughs> I couldn't find a job in the U.S. Um, and until I met this French chef, uh, he's, he has a restaurant here in called Gable. Uh, his name Wait, is... but hold on, hold on. I'm going backwards. So you came to United States with no job. You just said, I'm going to United States. I'm going to figure it out. Yes. Yes. I mean, okay. you know, it's not like I came by myself, you know. Uh, you and your girlfriend. Yes, I was with somebody, so it's not like I came by myself. And I say, let me land in America, see how it is, the culture and everything, and mm -hmm. uh, let me see what what I can what I can do. So I explore a little bit the food scene and notice a few things that were very interesting. What city did you start in? Where were you at? Miami. Miami the whole time. So you landed in the Miami. The whole time, yes. So I arrived to Miami, so I explored the, something that I never was trained or explored when I was in France and in Europe. It was Latin food, so it was something new for me. So I kind of fall in love with the flavor, the, the variety of the food. Um, so it was good. So I, you know, I remember at the time, still no iPhone like now. So we had the, they had here the Miami New Times with a lot of job uh, looking for a sous chef here, looking for this, looking for that. So I start to write my resume and everything, but I went to a lot of interviews, but nobody wanted to hire me. So later I found a, a chef. His name was Pascal Uder. He still have a restaurant here in Miami. An amazing chef who I can say uh, point me in the right direction. And he told me, he said, look on your resume, of course you cannot find a job. Imagine a chef interviewing you and see that you were you work in the Eiffel Tower in a Michelin star restaurant. Right. <laughs> the first thing they're going to think is that you're going to take their job. So <laughs> I thought know. that would be great. If you if I met you, like this guy, we gotta get him in here. That's true. I guess some people are scared that you're gonna take him over. Michelin star, French it chef. That's not my you know, my my goal was to start maybe from the beginning here yeah, in the US and to learn the culture, how restaurants operate, because you know, going to Germany, I see a lot of similarity with French food and the way things go. But in America, I had no idea, you know, who are the workers, how they work, what do they do? You know, so Pascal offered me a job. It was a restaurant in, um, near Corgable called, uh, at Sunset Place called Sweet Donna. Uh, and I went there and I remember he put me on a fryer station. <laughs> <laughs> the first few weeks. So here I was working from the Eiffel Tower, Michelin star, making fries and in Sunset March. Place outside the suburbs of Miami. Amazing. <laughs> so I was there and then I start to learn that system was different. Like I remember my shift 
had to start at four, so four to 12. So the first day, of course, I show up at 1.30. And he's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, uh, to work. I want to learn my station. He said, no, no, your schedule say four. You need to come at four. I said, don't worry, I want clock in. Don't worry. <laughs> he talked, he, he called me to his office. He said, no, here you work when you clock in. You don't, and I said, don't worry, don't worry. Money, it's okay, don't worry. I want to learn. He said, no, you can't. <laughs> uh, and here I am on the line with some students, uh, people who have like one year, two year experience working on the line, and it was like a, a complete culture shock for me. Right, I'm sure you're you're seeing with them like, oh my god, look at these jokers! I could imagine. <laughs> Not really. I was just no? a bit of a state of shock, so I could. Uh, everybody was so nice to me. They were very nice, but it was like, wow. And the restaurant, you know, never closed. When I come, I thought I will come, do my prep. And I'm like, you know, four o'clock, four ten, boom, we receive a ticket. I'm like, do the restaurant ever close? And we're like, mm -mm. <laughs> That's true, because you're used to closing, doing your hundred and getting out of there. Yes. So very different. But then you start, when do you start transitioning into, well, you did private cooking, I think, for a little bit, right? Yes. Yeah. I So Sunset Place, I moved to South Beach. Uh, and Sunset Place was a bit far uh, at the time for me. So I realized in South Beach was a lot of restaurant and everything. And Pascal left. He went to open his own restaurant. He was interested uh, for me to go work with him, but he was still in Cor Gable. I wanted to explore a little bit South Beach. So I worked. I opened two restaurants for independent owner on Collins Avenue. What were, the, what were the names of those places? It was one called Maxim's and mm -hmm. the other one called The Fairwind. But the very, you know, it was tourist, tourist yeah. restaurant, you know. The not same Maxine, the same one that's there now? Yes. The Maxine's? Yes. Very the cool. Maxine's. So nothing really exciting, but, you know, um, it was yeah, just this... for me to, it was just for me something to, to try different. And then I was seeing all these hotels, you know, and I was like, wow, I never in my entire life worked in a hotel. Like, I, I didn't even know. Like when you work in a Michelin star restaurant, they tell you if you cannot bake it, uh, go work in a hotel. Or <laughs> like, it was, like if it was an embarrassment, you know. So I was like, you know, I said, let me explore. Maybe in America it's different. I never went to a hotel in France. Uh, never worked. I know it was great hotel at the time, uh, but uh, the place I work, it's one of the place I work. It's what they used to tell me, but. I see all these hotels. So one day I was walking down Collins Avenue and I see uh, somebody from culinary outside a, a hotel um, taking a cigarette break. And so I went and the person told me, I told the person, I said, I'm looking for a job maybe uh, in a hotel. And she said, that person said, yes. Oh, we're looking for people. Let me, so I end up in human resource office. <laughs> And next, I was in a taxi going to go take a drug test. <laughs> Same day. Same day. And then I started like two days after. Um, you see, I love that kind of story, right? So setting the scene for listeners here, the time that Chef Frederick is walking around South Beach is 2000. And that's when South Beach really started to kick off big. Like it was already cool, like in the 90s, right? Like Johnny Versace had his house there and all the models. But this is when like the hotels started coming. So like... Delano Hotel opened in 96, I think is what it was. And all these hotels started popping up. The Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel, where we worked, opened in 99. And so it started popping off. So you came like the perfect time to yes. be there. 
But I love that you were just walking the street and they're like, hey, just walk into here and get in this taxi and go take a drug test. So I went to take the drug test and I stopped uh, two or three days later. And, you know, it wasn't at the time like... Um, Where'd you start? Where was this? So it was the National Hotel. All right. So is, right uh, on the main drive. Yes, on the main drive next to the Delano. So I went there uh, and I remember at the time it was a chef called Chef Greg McDaniel. Um, very cool guy. Uh, that a guy who teach me really the hotel scene and banquet. Like remember, a banquet for me in a Michelin star restaurant, it's a table of 10. <laughs> <laughs> so I worked there as a cook because again, I, I didn't have a lot of uh, experience in hotels. So I want to start at the cook and see. And remember, my mind at the time was not about making money. It was just to learn the system. So I went to start as a cook, and the chef just started a week prior, prior uh, my start date. So he told me, say, you know, I just started like you, blah, blah, blah. So I started to work on the line and this. And I remember a week or a week and a half after we started, we had a, he told me we want to do a plate for um, a banquet. And I'm like, okay, I played up how many people? So it was like 180. And I'm like, 180? I said, but we have to, <laughs> we have to close the restaurant, the room dining. <laughs> and he was like, no, 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 we cannot do that. I'm like, how are we going to do? Like, so he said, don't worry, I'm going to show you. So it was cool. It was a fun, cool experience. Um, it teach me a lot about banquet and different aspects of the hotel industry. And then I fall in love with it because Mission Star restaurants are amazing. And fine dining restaurants are amazing, but after a while, it, 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 it has tendency to get a bit boring when the hotel industry, uh, if you stay at the same place. But in hotel industry, you have everything. You have a banquet, restaurant, breakfast seating. You have a restaurant by the pool. Uh, you meet the clients. You you know you do festival like at the time the one in food festival we participated participated a few times. So it was like. Wow, it was a lot of things to do in hotel. It was not like you come, you prep the food, and then you do the service and you go home, create a few dishes. So it was like, wow, you know, amenities, you know, dining. It is, everything is there in a hotel. That's what I love about it, too. There's always something different going on. Yes, correct. So you're there, you're learning from your chef mentor. And, but at some point, you take over there, don't you? Yes. So he left. He left the national uh, the national hotel. He got a better opportunity, and then uh, they promoted me as the executive chef. So that was my first executive chef position in a hotel at the time. So what was that like? Because you've you were in Europe, you come to the U.S., you started frying French fries, and now you're executive chef <laughs> at a beautiful hotel, the National Hotel. Do you remember that first day when you walked in as the executive chef? Yes, I mean, so I got promoted as the exec sous uh, mm -hmm. with, the, with that chef. Uh, so it was not like if I transitioned from the cook to executive chef. So I got executive sous chef. So I was in management. Um, but I remember it's when I really realized that how important it was at the time how to train people, treat people fairly, because I had the GM at the time, I remember. So he promoted me and it was a a hotel that was owned by a private owner so they get the green light they are amazing um at the time you used to call the Krauser family they were probably some um, most amazing owner i ever worked with they decided to um 
promoted me, and at the time I had a food and beverage director and um, a GM. And I wanted to, I remember when I got promoted, I spent the entire week rewriting all the menu and everything. And um, I presented to the general manager and he said, look, we implement this when, um, you know, when, when everything gets better in the kitchen, because we, we used to lose staff, uh, you know, we, we work next to bigger hotel that we are paying more money, which is normal. Uh, so he say you need to create uh, like something. So the, the cook say, I'm not going to leave for a dollar or two dollars more. I prefer to stay here with Chef Eric because, you know, he's teaching me better, the life quality in the kitchen, you know, it's not like the kitchen chef screaming all the time. So that's what I had to work on, um, which I, you know, I succeed. Uh, and then I end up working with the hotel for many years. That's interesting to see because I work with you at the Lowe's, but I saw that from you in the beginning that you were always teaching and coaching and being friendly in the kitchen. And I think that's what I noticed different because I was always with other kind of chefs that, you know, great chefs, but, you know, had a different demeanor, we say, right? So you're at the National, you're the exec chef, you're there, I think like seven years in total, right? I don't remember, but yes, I was with the Krauser family uh, for a very long time uh, until unfortunately, but that business, you know, the hotel was sold. Yep. So then you had to make a move. Yes. I stayed with the owner at the time for a year and a half, I think, and I decided to move. The good thing is at the time when I worked at the National Hotel, uh, I had a very good friend. She was director of PR over there, uh, her name Sarah Murov. And she had moved to the laws. And when she heard that I was leaving the national, she called me and she said, look, we're looking for not a chef, but an executive sous chef at the laws. And I told her, you know, it's a big hotel. I don't know if I'm interested. And I said, who's the chef? And she said, oh, he's super cool, Irish guy. And I'm like, oh my God, no, not another. <laughs> <laughs> an Irish guy. An Irish guy. And she said, you should meet him. Um, and this is a super cool story. So I say, okay. So I didn't have any hope to join the laws and everything because I, I got several offers already for executive chef uh, at the time. So I joined the laws and I entered the office and here I see another of my great mentor, uh, Gordon Mebery. And mm -hmm. you know the story I told him many times. And I see him and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> he looked like a rugby, Irish rugby player. <laughs> His face was red and, and uh, like, uh, you know, he looked like an E-Man character. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the guy who's going to break my balls every single minute. <laughs> but I'm like, let me do the interview with him, you know, let me be polite. So I, we start the interview, we talk culinary 10 minutes, and then we end up talking rugby for almost an hour. <laughs> and I loved him. I'm like, wow, I need to work for that guy. <laughs> he really convinced me to join the laws. Plus, you know, uh, Sarah who was a, a director of PR at the laws, really talked so nice about the company. And, you know, I think Gordon nailed it when he told me being an executive sous chef at the laws, it's like being an executive chef of a smaller hotel. So I was like, oh, wow, let me join um, the hotel, you know? And 
and I joined, and I think that one of the greatest move I ever done. Yeah, and and you you mentioned something where because the National Hotel, smaller hotel, probably what two hundred rooms. Yes. Right, and then you go to Lowe's, eight hundred rooms, gigantic conference, right? <laughs> Lots of banquets, and like you and I have done some mega events where you'd be laughing at yourself back in the day with one hundred and eighty plates. Um, but you get in there. What was it that vibe when you first started? Because like, look, that's where I met you. So 2008, I was just a young punk coming up. Uh, I think maybe I was like room service manager at the time. That's what I was, which Frederick likes to play a lot of pranks, which we'll talk about later. Uh, he pranked me several times in that hotel. Uh, but what was that like coming into that monster of a hotel? You know... In the beginning, I was not thinking to stay for many years. You know, my, my goal was to come to work with Gordon for like a year or two, maybe, maybe more, three, uh, learn as much as I could of the big hotel and make a decision. Do I want to go back to kind of a smaller hotel, a bigger hotel, you know, something in between? So, you know, I, I started, but I remember it was getting adjusted. It took me several months to get adjusted because it was such a beast. You know, like I remember the first time I went with Gordon at the pool and we did like 900 cover. I was like, shit. And I used to cry in Eiffel Tower. We used to do 100. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, whoa. I remember those. I, it made me cry that pool deck a couple of times. Yes. So it was such a beast. And I hand, you know, the, the hotel is very luxury. I hand and it's, you know, a guest say, uh, I want to eat, uh, I don't know, a fish we don't have on the menu. You you have to run to the ocean, swim, catch one, and come back, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> amenities, you know, I used to do like two amenities, three amenities a week at the National. And my first day, uh, I think they put me on the amenity. I had like 20 to do. And VIP, it was, I was like, wow. You know, it was, it was, uh, it, it felt, it made me feel that I was in a, I don't know, uh, uh, in, a, in, in a city, like a small city, it was like, wow, so many compliments, so mo many moving. I think six months after I started, I was still meeting people that I never met. So <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I felt that way too, walking around yeah. there. It was like a small town and you, you could get lost there any day that you were in there. But yes. so you started, uh, you know, I want to go to this because I always wondered this about you. I don't think I ever got to ask you this. So you came in as the executive sue and I remember... Look, for listeners out there, Wine and Food Festival down here is mega. So it would be really what helped launch so many celebrity chefs on the planet. They come here, they're on the Food Network, then they come down here for this festival. But our hotel, when I say our, we worked the Lowe's, was the host hotel. And yes. so every celebrity chef that you knew, whether they're on TV or was like Daniel Ballou was there, right? Who other, who else, other chefs that you worked with in that? Just set the scene. To be honest with you, I don't have a list. Nobu, like everybody. Nobu, Alain Ducasse, uh, Bobby Flay, uh, Emery Lagasse. I mean, I Mario Batali, like everybody, right? So yes. the point for me is you go in this hotel, because that's what I always remember thinking. Like I would walk in the breakfast room and see every celebrity there on these special weekends that we had. But then you do the wine and food festival. You're in culinary and you have to set up the tribute dinner. So for the tribute dinner... We're serving 600 people at the same time, Michelin-style food. Can you walk through what that's like for you the first time you see it? 
So I would love to get the credit for that. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I was very lucky that uh, for the first two years at the laws, I worked with Gordon and he's the one kind of show me the process, how he, how it was set up before him, how he tweaked it. And then I put my own spin on it. But I was very lucky to be introduced to the, to the One and Food Festival with Gordon. When he left, uh, after two years working with me, uh, the hotel promoted me as the executive chef. And what was the first one like? What was the first one like for you? The first one was rough because the, we were just coming out of a bad economy and uh, we didn't have, we were not fully staffed and it was with Alan Ducas, the first one. So and, 2008, uh, yep. Oof, this one was, uh, it was rough, but, um, you know, it was my, my first time doing it by myself. So, you know, like you laugh, you, you make a joke saying, oh, let me introduce you to celebrity chef Frederick Dallaire. But in the end of the day, these people are really, you know, when you work with Alain Ducasse, with Bobby Flay or Emery Lagasse, you know, they are following, they have thousands of followers, they have TV shows, they're this, you know, they, they are the celebrity. Um, you know, I always made a joke um, during one in food, I say I'm probably the only chef who can walk into the law's lobby and nobody stopped me to take a picture with. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the, my greatest memory, it was one day I was walking and it was like a, a couple, they wave at me. I'm like, oh, wow. And they say, is the restaurant open? <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were going to say, oh, you Chef Frederick. So yes, it was... Um, you know, it, it's in the end of the day, you know, they are the celebrity. They they come to do a dinner for, um, you know, celebrity chef, Jose Andres and all these chefs. So it's a lot of pressure. They come in a place where they, some of them never worked before. We're not talking about like, um, they need to serve a course and usually it's between five to 600 people to serve at once. So, you know, they, they, they stress, they want to, make sure we bought everything, who is going to help and this and that. So the first three years, I think it was difficult for me because it was very hard for me to say, you know, like I remember one of the chefs decided one day to change something. And I was like, okay, we do it, even if it was a disaster. But then after I learned how to, to manage it and be able to, to have my own voice and say, no, we cannot do that. This will be, you know, and then I end up with chefs asking me what, what you suggest, which I always felt very honor, you know, um, when a chef, celebrity chef, like, you know, tell me, what do you think? What will you do if you were me tonight? And I'm like, oh, I will do this, do this. You know, sometimes uh, they listen, sometimes they say, what about this? And then we change it. Um, so it was super cool. It was super cool. No, and I was always impressed. And so, you know, behind the scenes, no one really gets to see. And that was like my favorite part. So five courses, 600 people at a time, every celebrity chef looking over their plates and people getting hammered in the back. Not our team, but like a lot of these celebrities just drinking heavily. One of my favorite memories is watching, uh, I think, Emeril Lagasse and Mario Batali, I think, and Guy Fieri were taking shots all day back there trying to help us plate up. And you were just like, Let's, out of the way. <laughs> out of the way. We got this. Uh, and, uh, you know... I've been asked a question once by somebody who tell me how, how are these people, you know, the, 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 the celebrity, are they real chefs? Do they really work? And the, the, the thing is, yes, you know, I will remember my, for my entire life, 
we were doing the tribute dinner and Bobby Flay was coming from the beach. His shoes were full of sand and he was doing like a barbecue or something. Yep. And he was just coming to the hotel. Didn't have time to take a shower just to present his dish a few hours later, you know? And yes, they all work and they have commitment. They have, they overbooked sometimes. They have a lot of things to do and they talk to, you know, me when the tribute dinner is done, I leave. They need to stay behind, sign autograph, talk to people, take picture. So yes, you know, sometimes they have to relieve a bit of pressure, a little bit of drinking uh, to relax, but you know, it's, it's, it's not easy. No, but they're always there. I give them that credit. They're always yes. there. They show up, they show up for their fans and they make sure that, that their plates and their food looks great, which I always yes. love to see. Yes. But, but then we did a, a ton of other events there. Was there anything that stands out as like maybe one of your favorite? I think the one and food because of the pressure and everything and, and you know it takes several months to prepare. That was probably my favorite favorite, but we did one. Maybe you remember I, I forgot the one. Uh the one I think you were not at the hotel anymore. Uh it was the one you remember you, you texted me and you saw the picture online. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. The uh, sales event. I remember what it was. I forget yes, what it was. It was a sales event and I remember at the time um, IRF. That's what IRF. That was, you know, that was a wine and food inside a wine and food. You know, we did. Um, it was to impress a lot of um, media and influencer and and people who, who book party and do stuff. But it was like uh, we spend, we impress, and it was amazing. We we did like some crazy stuff. You know, I remember on the lawn at the pool we had this machine. It looked like. Uh, I don't know, from a sci-fi movie, and we had to put the dessert on it. It was like a conveyor belt, a giant conveyor belt, and the guests just passed by and grab a dessert. I, it was so stressful to see a pastry yeah. chef in the <laughs> dessert. But yes, that was one of my favorite. I would tell for listeners, go just to go into Google and type in IRF Lowe's Miami Beach, and you'll see some of the craziest culinary displays I've ever seen in my life. They created yes. an entire ice wall filled with fish real life fish that were in it as display. It was just over the top, everything. We got some funny stories of what happened afterwards, but <laughs> it was beautiful to see it being done. And so you do these events and, you know, I want to talk about something that's a little bit life-changing for you, right? One of the events that we were doing, and I want to talk about how I remember it. And I want to get your part, right? Where is the Super Bowl? And so, you know, Chef Frederick, to me, you're a celebrity chef. And so I'll say it like this. He got a he got a Brito painting done of him down the road for the Wine and Food Festival. So anyone who has a Brito painting of him on his wall is a celebrity to me. But we're prepping for the Super Bowl 2020. Mm -hmm. And you came to me and said, man, I'm not feeling great. You know, I'm not feeling great. But you're working through. You're, we just did like 1,200 covers at the pool. You're sweating. Say, I'm not feeling great. And then, you know, you go home and you come back with some news. I mean, you know, you don't have to talk about all of it, but for me, I think it's important for people to hear how you look at life in certain ways. What happened that day? What happened that moment? Yes. So that was a life change, changing for me, for the people who work with me and for you, because I had to break the news with you and for my family. Not something I like to talk about, um, but at the end of January 2020, I was diagnosed with aggressive uh, lymphoma cancer. We had to do several tests in it. It was not something like, you know, I could got um, the therapy for it. It was a several tests. So I had to work with this uh, in the back of my mind. You know, I remember doing the one in the trip dinner um, 
with uh, stage four cancer. And the reason why I did it, it was to occupy my mind and to not think about it. Um, but um, at the end of February, I think it was March, first week of March, I went to see an amazing doctor at the University of Miami who basically told me that, uh, confirmed what it was and said that uh, I was I needed to go to a very heavy treatment. So I left the laws at the time um, on medic medical leave, uh, and I went to a very long battle against lymphoma. So I received, I don't remember, I think 60 or 70 doses of chemotherapy at the time. I spent weeks and weeks at the hospital, and I remember the day when I was admitted, it, went, it, it was when the COVID hit, hit worldwide. So... Yeah. It was like everything stopped. You know, my life stopped. The world <laughs> stopped. Uh, it was crazy. But, you know, I had no choice. I had no choice. And I always been a positive person. I was always see good um, ahead of me. So I said I have to, to battle this. So I spent several months um, battling this. And I think it was... In August, uh, my doctor told me that I was in remission and in September in complete remission. Uh, then I had to, you know, I mean, the, 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 the regular symptom, you know, I lost my hair, lost a lot of weight, uh, but I got amazing support from my wife um, and the hotel who really helped me. So, um, and you, Steve, you know, all the people who texted me. Um, then I recovered. I went back at the end of 2020 to the hotel. Uh, I work uh, January, did the Wine and Food Festival um, in May, I think it was because of COVID. Yep. So everything was fine. Unfortunately, in uh, June last year, I relapsed and the lymphoma came back with a vengeance because when I did some of the tests, they find out that some of the lymphoma went to the brain, which is very difficult to treat. My doctor who saved my life already once, put me on a special treatment that I reacted very well to it and almost cleaned me out completely. And then after that, uh, University of Miami, it's where I got treated, amazing place. They went for something called a CAR T cell transplant, which is they took my T cell, sent them to California to be um, genetically modified, they send it back to Miami, and then it's called a transplant. It's not organ transplant, but it's more like a, a T-cell transplant. And, um, you know, I had to go back two weeks in the hospital and everything, but my transplant doctor told me that uh, it worked perfectly and wiped out completely um, the cancer cell. Yeah. Uh, so that was amazing. amazing. Yes, that was amazing. Uh, very lucky. You know, uh, UM, they say that I'm a that I'm a living miracle. I said living legend, celebrity chef, because I can tell you from my point of view, I don't think I shared this with you, but you know, we, all of us complain about stuff in life and about work and different things. And I remember how could I complain if this guy showed up with stage four cancer to, <laughs> to make this event happen was wild to me. And we, you know, I, I was telling you, you're crazy to get out of here. And you said, no, I need to be here. I need to do this. And, and you stuck it through. And then March, 2020, everything shut down, like you said. And I remember I thought about you all the time because for me, it was, 
all right, I'm in much better shape, right? Frederick would love to be where I'm at. And I just kept thinking about that all the time, you know? And so yeah. I wanted to make sure that you know that so many people were thinking about you and me, I told you this a lot, but I wanted you to know again. All right. And so you've accomplished so many awesome things and you've got many more great things. I know you're taking a small break before you launch your next amazing thing, but I want you to really think about it. If you were going back to young chef Frederick, not even chef, young apprentice Frederick back in France, what advice would you be giving him um, about him if he were starting out today? What would you tell him? To be honest with you, nothing. I would say just do what you, you know, I would tell him don't change anything because everything I did um, it was great. You know, I have no regrets at all of everything that I have done between the move I did in my career, the people I work with, the people I influence, the people I work with, and my battle with cancer. It's you know I will I want you know yes I won you know I you know the battle I had to do it but yeah, it's not the only dark thing but no I won't have changed anything you know people have asked me several times you know if I will have done something different and no absolutely not do you look yeah. at work work differently now or is it has it changed yes. your mindset? Yes, yes. And again, um, you know, unfortunately, the industry is changing. Okay. Uh, not only in the US, but in many places of the world. Hospitality business, it's not an easy business, you know. And you have work, you have job that change. You know, it's some job that used to exist 100, 100 years ago that don't exist anymore because of technology, of things. Uh, and for me, in the late 80s, becoming a chef and this, and it's still like that in France because it's a, such a strong food culture. But it's changing. I heard I have a lot of good friends, chefs, that they cannot find people to work. And uh, one of the reasons, you know, it's, it's not an easy industry. You know, the, the, the guests, they want more. Uh, they're very more demanding. It's difficult to find staff. Um, it's not easy. And, you know, the life balance in hospitality is not the greatest. Um, and I think it's something that needs to change. Um, yep. That's something that uh, I was trying to do uh, everywhere I work, from the national to the laws, you know, try to give as much days off as I could to, to my sous chef and everything. But, you know, I remember one of the first questions I asked when I'm in interview is, especially for somebody who is new, so imagine they go to school, culinary school, they pay a lot of money. They come to get a job and I say, okay, can you work weekends? Can you work holidays? You know, it doesn't matter which religion, what you believe in, but can you work Christmas, New Year's Eve, Easter, Thanksgiving? And sometimes I used to see the eye of the BBC, but you know, I, I have family tradition and I, you know, I say, yes, I know me too, but we work when people party and we rest when people work and it's not easy it's not easy especially in this day and age where you know you have so many opportunities in other jobs so it's hard to find staff it's hard to find people but i found something that if you work if you work people on a better life balance the results are greater because they it's less stress. They're more happy. They want to work more. They want to work. Uh, they they're more inspired. They're not burned out. Unfortunately, you know it's it's difficult in this profession. Yeah, you and I have talked about that a lot, but I think that's a 
a good place for people to hear and for us to end our conversation is really to think about what the industry is like, take care of your people. You see it in a lot of people's faces now getting burnt out and just try and take care of your team, right? That's yes. the, the most important thing now. Well, Chef Frederick, I know a lot of people are going to want to connect with you of all of our three listeners. If uh, <laughs> where, where can they connect with you if they want to connect with you? Uh, I have a Facebook account, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram. I don't post much. Um, you know, I'm not too much into social media, but anybody can contact me, send me a question. I love it. Know. And for all the listeners, take advantage. He's one of the smartest and most caring guys in the industry. He's done every major event, work with all the great people. Chef Frederick, a true celebrity chef in my eyes. I appreciate you <laughs> being on the podcast today. Uh, you know, I love you very much and we'll talk again soon. I love you, Steve. Thank you so much for everything. This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.